Hi, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 21 of Alice in Wonderland. I'm Vic Philipson in Christiansand, Norway. And I'm Alice in Imlil in the Atlas Mountains of Morocco. And how are things in Imlil? Very, very hot. Um, oh. I say it's very hot. It's in the 30s. And oh for some reason, it's it feels boiling. Whereas in poor old Marrakesh, <laughs> they're 46 the other day, which is just <laughs> insane. Whoa. So, yeah, but even for me, so I'm finding kind of like, you know, between kind of 12 and six it's it's re really really quite stifling but apart from that all is good in all is good well i won't tell you that it was nine degrees and sunny this morning that's what it was oh, here. That, you see that sounds lovely <laughs> but it's, it's just what you can't have isn't it but we have had a drama in the doar this morning oh tell well so if you imagine my house is built on three levels and I'm on because we're against a mountain, everything's always in levels. It's kind of staggered. And basically, I'm on the top level and I have my own door and I'm in like a, it, it, it's a, a bungalow or a flat, but it's all mine. Mm -hmm. And then underneath me directly is Fatima's posh sitting room for guests. Um, so she's directly underneath most of my house, but then under another part of my little house, and under Fatima's sitting room, because as I say, everything's a bit higgledy-piggledy, are the cows, two cows, one calf, oh. and the chickens. And this morning, I heard a big commotion in my yard. So I opened the windows down onto Fatima's courtyard, which is below us, below me. Uh -huh. And there's, there's Fatima and Hafida, the two kind of mothers, all dressed in black because they've been down to feed the cow. And they wear full veil when they go outside of the door. And four little girls all running around madly. Fatima's got a bucket in her hand and she's kind of running around. I'm like, Fatima, what are you doing? And then I spy the little chicken. A little chick has escaped from the bottom level. And I mean, it's a good 10 foot the wall. So goodness knows how. Anyway, it's escaped from the bottom level and gone up to the middle level. So Fatima's running after it with the bucket. She can't get it. It's running like crazy. And down below, a mother with her other two chickens is squawking like mad. So there's all this running around. Anyway, then she calls in young Nessa. Nessa has, Nessa has I think, around 12 or 13. And she's got She's so tall and skinny and her legs are about as long as you say bolts. I mean, she, and she's a real runner. Anyway, so she takes off after this chicklet and the chick, sensing danger, runs into Fatima's house immediately. And then all you can hear from inside are sounds of this young screaming. girl running around screaming and the little chicken squawking. Anyway, she comes out triumphant with the chicken in her hands and then they just pop it over the wall and it runs immediately to its mother and its siblings so <laughs> phew, happiness that is range. exciting that is exciting stuff going on there yeah listen Vic <laughs> do not mock me in uh, my no life. I'm not I'm not <laughs> how many cows are there down there on the uh two yeah. two cows and one one new calf and and they're milk cows or Oh yeah, they're absolutely milk cows. So that they, they, two of the women have the cows, and um, they do get let out sometimes down into the uh, river valley. They take mm -hmm. them down to graze, or they go down and cut the hay or the grass and bring it back up in huge, huge bundles. And I've carried those bundles; they are really heavy. Yeah. The women are very strong, and I mean, the road up to where we live is steep. You know, like climbing steep steps. Um, you know, imagine three stairs in one, and that might be one of the steps you have to do. So doing that with like, I don't know, a 30 kilo load on your back, maybe Whoa. more, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really huge bundles. In fact, I must put um, a picture on Instagram, a video of of a hafida with a pile from the back because they, the women don't like to be shown. But I think I could do it from the back just to show you the mm-hmm. size of the of the load. Wow. At Instagram, Alice out there one. I feel <laughs> I ought to promo it. What do they uh, do with the uh, the cow effluvia? What do you? Um, do they have a well, manure pile, or do you? Well, that. No, no, that made me laugh, actually. So, A, I made a very uh, schoolgirl error, and I'm sure the gardeners out there will just be holding their head in their hands because I've got all this cow poo directly under my bedroom and I can smell it, believe you me. Um, I was like, right, I'm going to plant all my seeds in cow poo. Uh And why didn't... Yeah, so I thought this was a brilliant idea because it's manure. Unfortunately, after I'd planted them all, the cow poo then solidified so it was like a brick yes um and also apparently my friend karima who is a very good gardener was like you did what she said how long had it been maturing for and i said oh it's fresh i proudly said it was fresh she went oh yeah well that will kill everything (laughs) (laughs) so yeah um so no they just they clear it out and they take it down to the river valley so you know in nebraska nebraska they call that the smell of money you know (laughs) <laughs> well, I like that. I shall remember that when I wake up tomorrow morning. Just remember, that's, that's the smell scent. of money. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, they put money, it on, money smells strong. They take it down and spread it on their fields then, huh? Um, yes, they do. Or they, or they dump it. I don't know. In fact, I will, I shall, do you know what? I shall inquire further. You better follow up on out. that. That's important stuff to know. I will follow up on it. I will. <laughs> um, it's like the camel sweat argument. They do. Um, right. I do have other news. Good. Okay. So I went to Essaouira, oh, which is yeah, I saw where I pictures. used to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's on the Atlantic coast. It's a seaside resort, a very old medieval walled city built by the Portuguese. Well, initially built by the Rockers, but extended vastly by the Portuguese and then very important in the trading days, as it was a route, you know, it's access to the coast. You can mm-hmm. get straight from there over to Europe. And in fact, to America, if you try hard enough. Um, so I went for a little break because the way Morocco is locked down at the moment, if you're in one of the danger zones like Marrakesh, you have to stay in your boundaries. Right. They're in naughty zone one. And we're in good zone two, I think. It's that way around. Mm-hmm. So we're allowed to move between zones. So I basically just had to skirt Marrakesh on my little car ride, mm-hmm. um, which was great actually, because I went around the back and I haven't been around the back before. So I was skirting the Agafe Desert, which, you know, when it's great to see a different kind of scenery. I mean, my mountain scenery, I would, you know, it's beautiful, but just great to get those big wide landscapes because I'm surrounded by peaks and valleys. So it's gorgeous, but it's constrained. And suddenly I had miles and miles, you know, of the, of, of emptiness, which, I've been very used to for my my desert adventures. So mm-hmm. that was it was a beautiful drive and the olive trees are all out and the wildflowers are out and there were herds and herds of sheep and goats. Um, so it was great. I got to Essaouira and it was lovely there. Um, my friend Jane Foliot had found me a little place to stay because Hayat, who I normally stay with, was having work done. Yeah. And it was quite interesting because that's my first kind of foray. Outside. In- yeah, it is. And I was surprised at how uncomfortable I felt. Oh, around people. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So here it's obligatory to wear a mask. And I mean, to be honest, in the mountains, you know, if there's nobody around, you put your mask under your chin. Um, and also, I know most people in the village, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, or at least I know I know most of them, if, if not really well, at least I know to see them. So suddenly I'm in an environment, I'm in a town. Um, and I thought I would love it. You know, I went, I went, we don't want too much information, but let's just say that all excess hair has been removed from every part of my body and my hair has been cut. Um, <laughs> and I had to get papers done. I had lots of administrative kind of things to do, but I also thought it's going to be great. I'm going to do a bit of shopping. I'm going to have a mooch. I'm going to go and buy some olives. I'm going to go to my favorite gelaba shop. Mm. I'm going to buy, I, I like, had all these fantasies. But when I actually got to the Medina, which I had to, I had to go to get my haircut, actually, at Gerard's. And so I went in through the big gates. So a Medina means a walled city. Mm-hmm. Um, it just means city, but in Morocco, it really means a, the, the city inside the wall. Um, so you go in Bab Marrakesh, the Marrakesh gate, which is where all the buses from Marrakesh stop. Not that there are any at the moment because Marrakesh is closed. But you go in there, big, big, big arch gateway. And then you're going into not too narrow streets, Um Cars are forbidden and there aren't many motorbikes, so it's people or bicycles. Most people were wearing masks, not all. Uh, and strangely enough, a lot of the foreigners weren't. Some were, but not all. Hmm. So that was a bit strange. And also, it's the first time I've seen foreigners, foreigners like me, <laughs> Westerners, yeah. I guess. Um, so that was also interesting. Where were they from? Uh, the residents. The oh, they residents. lived there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Esavira has quite a big um, foreign. Expat. Expat community, yeah, and a lot of retirees come, retirees from France uh, come, yeah. So anyway, so I'm wandering around and I thought it was going to be lovely because Essaouira is really pretty and I like the market, the souk, for lots of reasons. One being that it's quite small and manageable, but it's got everything in it, you know, so you can literally buy anything, but it's not like Marrakesh, which is crazy. So I thought this will be perfect. But weirdly, I just got there and I just didn't want to wander around and I, I wasn't that comfortable with people and and it was the element of not knowing them the shopkeepers that I knew I didn't feel uncomfortable with at all so it's not it's not logical you know yeah mm-hmm. but all these people that I don't know all around I was like oh I don't like this <laughs> so um oh. so I just I just ended up um just kind of walking briskly and going to a few of my favorite places, but I didn't have the wonder that I thought, but it was lovely, you know, just to see some of the shops reopening to see all the, the market in full fling, of course, because that's where you get your groceries, right. the fish market, which is always full of delicious, fresh fish. The boats are out. It was very windy. So one day the boats weren't out because it was too windy. Um, and of course there was the beach. Yeah. Fabulous. I see. It's got a fantastically big beach. It goes for, oh. Yeah, mile, mile. You you can you can literally go for hundreds of kilometers on right. that beach. Yeah. You just keep going, and it's it's a fantastic beach. It wasn't swimming weather because of the high wind. The water was all churned up with um, dirt. Yeah. So you know, lots and lots of sand in your pants. If you, it's not nice to swim in that, and of course, but of course, everyone was out kite surfing. Oh, so, I saw mm-hmm. your photo. Yeah. Yeah, all the guys were out kite surfing, a few of the girls as well. And we saw a couple of people exercising their horses on the beach with their dogs, which is always so nice because the horses are beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, people, Essaouirans, out enjoying themselves, which was really good to see. And social distancing on the beach, no problem. Yeah, but you, you, you felt uncomfortable around them, no matter 
Uh, on the beach, no, not at all, no, because no, no, it's no, so, no. it's, there's, you know, you're, I'm like half a kilometre away from the next person. I felt uncomfortable in enclosed spaces. We went out for dinner and actually to a lovely restaurant, if anyone goes to Esmeralda, called Dar Baba, which is new and which is really pretty. It's really artistically done and it, the, the staff are so pleasant. Um, and actually it was fine, you know, there were, plenty of there's plenty of room i could sit two meters away we actually wore our asked the waiters to put their masks on because mm. they were being a bit lax because we were one of only four people in <clears throat> and they knew jane who i was with so we asked the waiters to put their masks on which was a bit embarrassing to ask um and then every time they came to the table i put my mask on just to respect them and i think nobody gets that actually if you wear a mask it's as much to protect somebody else else as it is to protect you mm -hmm. even though i'm yeah 99.0 a zillion percent sure i haven't got it but still anyway so it was very nice enjoyed the meal i had squid in black ink risotto which oh, was oh well that's one of my all-time favorite things well next time you come to Esawira, seriously delicious yeah. but um then it started to fill up and it, it and actually as it filled up, I was just like, I don't like this. So Jane's a smoker. So we actually went to an open, kind of open air bit in the middle and found a little nook and we just had our coffee and dessert there. And I surprised myself, but no, I didn't want to be in an enclosed space with a load of people I don't know. I have to confess, I went shopping for the first time out. You know, we have a huge <gasps> shopping center on the, uh, yeah. on the outside of town. I went to buy a pair of shoes. And it was nuts. Um, no masks. Well, of course, you, there's no requirement to wear a mask here. And the, and the count is very, very, very low. Less than, yeah. you know, it's, they've reached a balance at right at one. And yeah. so, um, but nobody was, it was like nothing has ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's very dislocated, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, so they're behaving not as they should here too um, particularly it's that's that place was just packed it was packed oh. couldn't find a place to park thousands and thousands of people so i well, understand your your trepidation i understand that well i think for me i think everyone you know we have to obey our government whichever government will whichever country we're in i think it's the best thing is to obey the rules there and to be, uh, for me, I'm just going to be cautious because that's how I feel comfortable. So, you know, I think you just do your thing huh? and respect other people. And if, if somebody else, I think it's also about being respectful of other people's concerns or, or lack of. So you, know, you got so, to be in Esawara for a week. How long were you there? No, I was just there for four days. And we did a very lovely kind of outing for a day to an oasis close to Esawira called Ain al-Hajar which means the well of the stones. And the reason it's called the well of the stones is because obviously there's a well, it's an oasis. And that is the place where they make, or they don't make them, they, they carve the millstones, the stone millstones, which are still used because mills are still used here. Mm -hmm. um, the stone millstones out of the mountainside or hillside. Oh. Mm -hmm. So it was fascinating. So when you go, you can actually see the round um, outlines of where 
where they've obviously said this is a good place or this rock will do. And then there are, are some completed millstones and some semi-completed millstones, you know, the completed ones waiting to be picked up and the semi ones still being finished. And they've just been hewn, I love that word, hewn <laughs> out of the rock. So that was very interesting to see. Yeah, it was probably one of the few places on earth where they're still making those. Possibly. I mean, I don't know. I, I imagine in Africa as a whole, a lot of people still grind their their grains using old-fashioned things. I mean, the thing about millstone, of course, it doesn't really wear out. No, it takes a very long <laughs> time to wear out. It doesn't really wear out. So, um, And in fact, one of the things I've got from the Draw River expedition is I've got a, uh, a, sto a flat, elongated stone about the length of my hands, quite narrow, but flat on both sides. And that was used centuries ago to... Um, grind the corn manually or the barley manually so you would um find find a flat rock or or dig something into the hard earth mm -hmm. a little kind of shallow and then you'd you'd use that stone with your hands just to grind down on the corn manually so i've got one of those which is rather nice yeah as they do still in in mexico you know there are traditional ways there of grinding mice my making corn yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i think it is it is normal here so so that was lovely. So if anyone again goes to us, we were at Lionel Hajar. It's a very nice day out. But we did have something very odd and unpleasant happen on the way back. Okay. So um, I think this can happen anywhere, but it was it was quite upsetting. So my friend Jane, Jane was driving and we were going down to the beach at Rulebuzitun, which is a little hamlet, a fishing hamlet. And we just were driving down to the beach. We had the windows open because it's hot and, you know, boiling hot. And... Um, a man approached us and we're driving at kind of walking speed because we're off-road and, you know, just in a normal car. And this man with a big shaggy beard and, and wild hair approached us and he looked quite dirty. And I didn't think anything of it. Jane slowed down and then he spat full in Jane's face through the window. Oh, my. Yeah. And it's not a racist thing or a anything it's just he was clearly mentally ill oh okay. he, absolutely clearly he was very dirty and very uncoordinated and but i mean you know we can't help or deal with that we just poor old Je poor jane you know at this this time the last <laughs> thing nobody wants to get spat on ever it's disgusting no, and i mean it's particularly yeah. a bad time to get to, to have that happen it was. Hey, sorry. Yeah, it was horrible. So she got out and we poured water over her and we, you know, she had Kleenex and um, wipes. So we wiped her. And then, of course, when she got home, she could have a shower. And Did uh, he just keep up. going? Yeah, he just kept going and we just kept going. We shut the windows because there's nothing to be, I mean, the, you know, the man, he's he's not a criminal. He's actually a victim of an illness. Yeah, yeah. And there's certainly no reason to confront him. It, there would be no benefit for anybody and it would be frightening. Oh. So we just carried on. And Jane, I have to say, a bit of a trooper because it was a grim thing to happen, but she just wiped herself off, cleaned herself off and didn't moan about it. So I was like, good on you, Jane. <laughs> Did you go back, when you go back and forth to Esawara, do you go come in from the south? Is that how you come in or do you come in? Oh like God, a... you're asking me a question. I have no idea. Uh, you come in from the east because it's on the yeah, coast no, but i mean you can yeah but you can i'm just looking at the map 
Uh, you obviously didn't go into Marrakesh. No, no, I just skirted around Marrakesh and then came down. I mean, I came down the same road, the, the Marrakesh High Road. Okay. I just didn't go into Marrakesh. So I see. The A7. As yeah, that's the one. Oh, okay. So I see how that's you one. came in then. Yeah. It's just kind of fun to follow along here in your travels. Yeah. Did you know oh, on the south you. edge of, uh, of Essawara, there is what appears to be a golf course? There's a, there's a big golf course in Esmeralda. Yeah, it looks like you know. it's a full 18-hole. That's really yeah, funny yeah. to see. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there was a, a plan for a while. Actually, golf courses are a bit of a an, a controversial subject. Now, I... as a Scot, it's my national game. Yes, of course. And I have two parents who are mad keen golfers. Um, but in Scotland, obviously, A, it, it's not an expensive. It's not like, you know, I think often golf is seen as a rich person's game. In Scotland, it's... Everybody, I mean, a lot of people play golf and you play, play them golf. on your local links. It's free. You know, you just go out with your clubs and you have a go around. It doesn't, it's not a rich man's sport in Scotland. Um, although I'm sure rich people play it. But um, so I've got a natural liking for golf. But the problem in Morocco is that effectively we're a dry country. Yeah. As you and mm -hmm. a golf course just uses tons of water oh the satellite picture is striking because it's just surrounded by nothing but browns and tans and yeah in, in it's not very far off the beach and then suddenly there are all these i thought what in the world is that and it looks oh then yeah. i realized those are fairways and greens yeah. Yeah. wow so ecologically um so there was a plan and so in marrakesh there were a lot of, i think it was seven golf courses or 11 golf courses around yeah. Marrakesh, which is insane because Marrakesh is a very dry area as well. Essaouira is even drier, but Marrakesh is dry. And it's depleted the water table. Um, and that, you know, what the Moroccan government was thinking when it allowed the developments or encouraged them was that it would be like Portugal, where there's a huge business in Gulf and it's very good for the economy. You know, tourists come, they're quite high-end tourists, they spend plenty of money, etc. And it, it's, it's a good thing. But that doesn't seem to have taken off that well. And at the same time, it uses a heck of a lot of water. Yes, so it does. I think sometimes, you know, people usually act from good intentions, but things don't always work out. And for me, golf courses, okay, one or two maybe, but if they're empty, the Moroccans don't play golf and the tourism's not working, then they're just depleting the water. But I'm not a policymaker, so I, yeah, I only, odd, I, you I only mean, see things from one view. You don't do, see the bigger picture. Do Moroccans play golf? Nope. No, a few. I have a friend, Mehdi, who's very, in fact, who lives in Esawira. He loves golf. A few <laughs> do, but no, in Morocco, it would very much be a rich man's sport. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Morocco, it's not a natural thing but i mean you know that's it yeah. so you go home four days yeah. in essawara then back home and mm -hmm. uh more news from there more more hikes into the uh into the uh mountains yes again? Oh, i did a lovely hike with uh rashid Mahjoub from pathfinders treks um and he's one of the guides that i always recommend to people and one of the reasons i do well I've done lots of things with him. I did a world first with him. We trekked from the Atlas to the Atlantic, straight across the Atlas Mountains, which my legs hurt when I just even think about it. Um, but he's a fantastic guide because he really takes the time to explain everything to you. And I like information. Mm -hmm. You know, I really like information. So these are some of the things I learned on my hike 
with Rashid from Pathfinders last week. Number one, rabbit pee is white when it dries out. All right. That's good I did not to know. know this. It's very good to know. So Rashid and his dad sometimes go up into the mountains. But it, we went behind his house where he lives. Um, and he and his dad sometimes go up to hunt wild rabbits for food. And they stay up all night with their traps. Mm-hmm. And they hunt them, but of course, by following their droppings. So they drop yeah. and their pee. So when he saw this white pee on the rock, he was like, Alice, Alice, look, it's rabbit pee. I was like, oh, so rabbit pee is white. Fact <laughs> number two, the okay. wild olive... The wild olive tree, the wood is used for water divining. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. I know. I think you are just you are gonna ace the pub quiz. <laughs> yeah, in, in case I'm asked. Yes. So that was the, the second thing I found. And actually it was quite interesting. We 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 walked up through the forest, and I mean it was oh man, it was you know, everywhere here's up. So we were hiking up and the, the undergrowth was so dense. We were literally beating a path through it. And I actually lost my poles because they were in my rucksack on the back and they dropped. We couldn't find them. We didn't realize till much later. So that was very annoying. Oh, they were my favorite poles, but never mind. Anyway, so we hiked up and Rashid kept saying, there's going to be an amazing view as I was like, you know, Indiana Jones to get through the jungle. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> kept saying this for about an hour and a half. I was like, yeah. He said, any minute now, and this went on for ages. But then we came out, and there's this incredible view all the way over to over the plateau. So we're on, on a, up high, obviously, on a mountain, and we're actually at the back of Richard Branson's hotel, Casper Tamadot. So we've crossed the ridge from there. He's down in the plain. We've gone up the mountain. And on the other side, there's a fantastic view to the Kick Plateau, which is a very big agricultural area. So at the moment, it's um, harvest time for the barley and the corn. And the wheat, so it's it's kind of golden. And then on the far left, there was the blue l- water of Lake Wirgan. And, you know, behind that, again, another ridge of mountains. So it was absolutely gorgeous. Hmm. And one thing, there was a, a house, like a, a, a traditionally built kind of fortress house, I would say, a tall tower down in the valley. And I was, you know, I'm always, I'm like, oh, fantasy house, because it's in the most gorgeous location. And as we were watching two farmers on their donkeys trotted past, or their mules probably trotted past, but we were very high up. So the, the mules looked like ants. But um, this house just looked amazing. And I was like peering at it saying, oh, Rashid, look at that. Isn't that gorgeous? He went, yeah. He said it was built by a foreigner, but <laughs> they didn't, they didn't get their olive branch out. Oh, no. Yeah, after he'd built it, he found out there was no water. No water. <laughs> and I mean, there must be some water because there's agriculture, but I, I don't know what the story was. He couldn't get a well down. Um, anyway, there wasn't enough water for him to, stay, you know, to live there. So he built this kind of folly and it's still there. I mean, beautiful looking from the outside, but... <laughs> But why, you ask he, yourself. He obviously didn't know about the olive uh, tree. Trip. Yeah, well, he, yes, exactly. He'd had his twigs. So it was great. I mean, but those are the kind of things I really enjoy on my hiking. It's not just about the physical exercise, right. which I also enjoy the scenery, but it is about just learning these little new bits of information. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Yeah, how's your conditioning getting? Um, It's getting better. I'm, Good. To be honest, I haven't been out for a few, for three days because it's just been so boiling hot. But tonight I've got to do some kind of walk or at least a trot somewhere. Um, 
so I'm looking forward to that. And actually, straight after this, I've got uh, uh, education for. I'll have to explain this. Education for all is a charity here, which provides girls, um, Moroccan girls, mountain girls, with accommodation so that they can go to secondary school, safe accommodation with house mothers, so that their family are able to let them go to school because as you can imagine girls here are not really are not allowed out the house just to stay with anyone Mm -hmm. so this charity is called education for all it's brilliant because it's so practical you give money the money goes to build a house and to pay the house mothers and then the girls can go to school and actually three girls from my doar are currently at those school at school because of education for all which is yeah it's really a great practical charity that doesn't waste money on fripperies it is just there and during covid they did a little fundraising drive and thanks to the generosity of people they were able to buy tablets and deliver them to all the girls who were in the remote villages because that's who it serves because villages don't have secondary schools Okay. They only have prime. So mm-hmm. in the remote villages, so they took these tablets out to the girls in the remote villages where you usually have signal, but nothing else. So the girls could keep studying because through WhatsApp and online teaching, because that's what they were, all the schools were doing here. Isn't that great? Yes, it's fantastic. Yeah. And today I'm waiting for um, Bucky, who I haven't met yet. He's coming up from ASNI. And she is a volunteer, and she's she's got stuck here, unfortunately. So she, they have volunteers usually from all around the world who work in the schools with the girls, mm-hmm. and or work in the houses and help them with their homework and just you know, volunteer, look after them. And so Bucky got stuck here. She's from Nigeria, mm-hmm. and I got a message saying, "Poor Bucky's been stuck for and didn't want to be, <laughs> and can't get home, and is is very." You know, she's moving. She was in a bit more of a remote place. She's moved up to Asni, which is slightly more populated. So um, she's hopefully coming up for a little visit today. So we shall have tea together and oh, it will be nice to see someone new. Oh, that's fun. What about uh, our 12-year-old friend Ayub? Have you heard from him? Ayub has gone back to his parents down in the village. So I have not seen him recently, which is a disappointment <laughs> because I, I like to spend time with Ayub. And we, he hasn't followed up on his promise to go up to Cal either. <laughs> That's a disappointment. Yeah, well, the, if, if it happens, I'll let you know. So I think that's all my news from all my busy week. Weeks, that's fantastic. Two weeks. Two weeks. Well, yeah. it, that was about the perfect amount of news because we're at the magic 30-minute mark. <gasps> Look at us with our clever ways. Per- perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you don't have to chase any more chickens. Thank you very much, Vic. I hope I don't either. Too hot to chase chickens. It is. Do you think I should plug my book? I There's never a better time as a best-selling author... Then at this moment to plug your book. <laughs> it's your podcast. You can plug it, your book. You're right. I can. Okay. So anyone who hasn't read Adventures in Morocco, please get thee You're to Amazon out. or The Hive or anywhere else and order yourself a copy available in paperback <laughs> and in ebook. And I've written two more as well. So you might want to check those out. There you go. Was that was that a good was that that was a was good that plug. a good plug? That was a very. Good I don't, plug. I, I never think I'm particularly good at plugging, but I give it a try. <laughs> All right, Alice. Well, 
on that note, I guess that we will speak in two weeks. We will. Stay safe, everybody. Don't forget, Corona doesn't know it's over. <laughs> the virus doesn't no, know no. it's finished. The virus, virus is not finished yet. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, stay safe, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.